Praying for others is like doing taxes. If you do them, you do them once a year, and it's not the most delightful thing that you end up doing. But my prayer is that that would change in regards to praying for others. In today's text, we're going to see the joys, the motivations, and a style slash methodology of praying for others, which, as the Apostle James ends up saying, will bear much wonderful fruit. And we'll talk about that this morning. We'll see this in a dialogue between Moses and his God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. So let me get us first into the context. You see, Jesus has, or Moses has led his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And he's seen God's miraculous hand working throughout every single situation. He's seen the ungrateful Israelites then the past two months end up grumbling about how they wish that they were slaves and how they were better off when they were slaves because they were fed at least. And so he's dealing with all these things and God continues to just show up. And now in this scene in which we just read, we see that Moses is on the top of Mount Sinai and he's receiving God's commands. And it's been 40 days and God's people are getting antsy. They get so antsy that they lose view of everything. For me, it's like when I get hungry and I get angry it's called hangry. I just lose sight of all virtue and values in the kingdom of God, and I just want things done. Well, they get in a hangry mode, and they're asking Moses' brother Aaron to make them a pagan god to worship. And this is God's response. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down the gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, you have brought, that have brought you out of the land of Egypt. Israel gives a direct eye roll to God. That's what pretty much is done here. They're not crediting God with their deliverance anymore. They're crediting someone else. And he takes, that is God, God takes offense to this. As you read it, I can feel the steam coming off of this page. And the worst part about this is just days before, days before, God's people Israel had made a covenant partnership with God. A covenant means a partnership. And Israel made an agreement with God that if they would obey God, that he would be their God. Check it out with me. This is a few days before, six, eight chapters prior to our text today. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. And then later on, they repeated. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey Israel in worshiping another God already is in direct breach of their covenant partnership with God. And God's just response to this disobedience from his covenant people is that he would wipe them off of the face of the earth. And that he would start over with Moses. Look with me. Verse 9. Then the Lord said, this is God speaking, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. It's done. The die is cast. You can see in the text, God's already made up his mind. And then he's justified. And we realize that in destroying Israel. By keeping Moses alive, though, by keeping Moses alive, we all, we all good with me? It's okay. Someone's reading a Bible app over there. By keeping, don't you love having church in a gym? 
by keeping Moses alive, God can still keep his promise to Abraham. And his promise to Abraham is that he would make his descendants a blessing to all the nations. But spoiler alert, we already read through this. If you were engaged a little bit, you'll end up seeing already God doesn't go through with it. Why is the question. And I think we see it plainly in the text. In part, one, because of God's goodness. Second is because of the intercession of Moses. He talks to God on behalf of Israel. Intercession is just that. It's talking to God on behalf of others. It is stepping in when there is a gap to make a change. It is talking to God about men more than talking to men about God. Talking to God about men more than talking to men about God. Let's look at the dialogue to learn of the method. And we're going to end up seeing the beautiful results of intercession. Verse 11. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said. Moses starts off his prayer by addressing God with reverence. He says in all caps, Lord. When you end up seeing that in the Old Covenant scriptures, in English translations, underneath that word is actually Yahweh. They didn't end up, the transcribers back then didn't end up writing Yahweh, Y-H-W, because of reverence for God. They didn't even want to write it down. But that is who they're talking about. And the root word for Yahweh means I am. It's taking us all the way back to where there was a fiery bush chapters before, months before, and God revealed himself to Moses first as I am. And I am means no one created God. He existed before anything was created. He always existed. Now imagine Moses right now. He hears God making up his mind and he steps in with reverence and he addresses God. He approaches God with reverence and so should we. When we ask God to change people or if we ask God to change circumstances, we ought to do so with the humble truth that at the end, all the results lie on his will. In other words, he will give a yes, a no, or wait according to what he really wants done. But notice with me, that does not stop Moses from asking. It's important to acknowledge this because we're about to move into the rest of the conversation. And it's going to sound like Moses is a beehole. It's going to sound like he's arrogant. It's going gonna, it's gonna to sound like he's looking down at God's character. Look with me, verse 11. Why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such great strength? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Whew. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Wow. Like this is not just a fairy tale story. This actually happened. A dude existed before, to, before us who had the audacity to ask God to change his mind. When I first read this, I was like, why are you asking God to change his mind? Are you allowed to do that? Is that in the rule book? Are we, is that okay in God's eyes that this would happen? I first thought when I read this, who is this dude? That he would have the fortitude to go to God and ask questions about him. But as I was throughout the week meditating on the scriptures, I think God gave me a deeper understanding of what Moses was doing. He wasn't questioning God's character at all. You see, Moses knew that God is full of mercy, long and suffering, rich in compassion, and great in forgiveness. And he also knew that if God was to destroy Israel on that mountain, that the surrounding nations would not have known that about God. They would have only seen his wrath. So it's because he knew God that he ends up going and asking of him. You see, that's why later, 
on in this text, he says, Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? You see, Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel, not just for their good, but for God's reputation. You tracking with me, church? He's doing this for God's reputation. He knows what people would perceive about God. That's why he's addressing God in this way. It's for his glory. Church, when we are praying for others, remember that God has his glory in mind as well as our good. He can hold both intention, and most of the time, they're one and the same. I'm currently praying for a dude who wants, needs, family is asking for a miracle. A man that most of us know in this room. And do you know what keeps coming through my mind? The Holy Spirit of God keeps telling me, you need to pray so that my glory would be known. That's my main motivation as I continue to pray is, would you please, please perform a miracle on this man so, God, that you would get more glory, that you would get more worship, that more and more people would come to praise your name, that when they would look back on this dude's story, They would see what really was medically, how impossible things were. But God, God stepped in. That's what I'm praying. And a lot of us are going to come to that place in our lives as we're praying for other people. That the motivation of why we should pray and how we should pray and the method in which God answers a prayer is that we would pray that God would do it in a way that he would receive the most worship ever. That is what we're seeing with Moses' asks. For example, I see this in my life pretty often. Um, sometimes I'll come up here and I'll say, God, you've told me in Jeremiah 1. You remember that two days, the Friday before I preached the first sermon for this church in September 2020, God, you brought me and you spoke to me in Jeremiah 1 that you would protect me from the fear of man as I got up and heralded your words. And I'm not feeling that right now. God, I am asking you to make good on that promise, please. There are other times in my life where I end up finding myself praying in difficult times and difficult seasons in our family life. God, I remember when you told me one morning on a Sunday morning in Matthew 10 that those who love their children more than me are not worthy of me. God, I ended up saying yes to this church plant. I put aside my trepidation on saying yes because I didn't want to raise pastor's kids, God. And yet right now, I'm not seeing that you're protecting my family. Please, please make good on that promise. Has anyone felt that before? That's the type of praying that God will bring us to. And he is fine with it. He's hearing from each one of us. He knows our hearts and where we're going in our prayers. And if you're going to notice, each one of those examples, y'all, was just out of a place of closeness with God. I had just spent time with God enough in his word that from his word, he gave me specific things for me to hold on to and cling to and promises. And the beauty in that church is as we pray in remembrance in that way, the blessing is that we're reminded in times of doubt that God is who he says he is. And that's why we should be praying in remembrance. It can be a deterrent from discouragement because guess what? As we move more as a church, as an individual, as households to pray, knowing that God does stuff when we pray, knowing that we change when we pray, we will face discouragement. We're earthen vessels on this side of heaven, right? The new heaven and the new heaven and the new earth have not arrived yet. And this can be a discouragement from a deterrent from being discouraged. And before we get to God's response, let's look a little bit more because Moses has more to say. 
continuing the conversation with God. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give all of this land that I have promised to your descendants and they will possess it forever. And asking God to change his mind, Moses reminds God specifically of the partnership promise that he has with Abraham that he would give descendants to Abraham that would outnumber the stars, that he would end up giving land that was promised to Abraham, and that he would be a blessing to all the nations. And Moses saw himself, mind you, this is generations later, he saw himself as a partner with God in seeing that happen. He saw himself as a partner with God. Church, we have been called out of the dominion of darkness to end up being partners with God to accomplish his will. Jesus died not just to save us from hell, but to send us on mission. Not just to save us, but to send us. And that mission is to usher in the Holy Spirit power of God. Look with me, Mark 16, Great Commission. Go into all of the world, preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. In other words, we partner with God to see his kingdom advance in power. In power. Miracles. Signs. Wonders. What happened in that waiting room yesterday was something you can't describe other than my goodness. There's a God who talks to his children. And as we end up walking in the assignments we've been giving, God wants to restore things back from the place where it was once broken in this sin-fractured world. In Matthew's account, we see the mission is also to make disciples, which are students, learners of Jesus. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I, Jesus, is with you always, even to the end of the age. Our assignment is to partner with him in making learners out of anyone we come across. Learners of Jesus, children, grandchildren, neighbors, co-workers, whoever is breathing and willing to give you the time of day. Many of us would give a hearty amen to that. But my concern, my question for our church is, are we doing those things in our own strength? Are we doing them in our own strength? That we are doing the work of God, but we're doing it without prayer first. Moses understood that interceding for others was a primary, a primary role he had in partnership with God. Jerry Falwell, the late founder of Liberty University, he ends up saying it this way, the importance of prayer. Nothing of eternal value is ever accomplished apart from prayer. I don't know if we we believe that. I don't. Because you and I both do really good things when we're not prayed up. But could you imagine if we were? Could you imagine if we were walking by the Spirit, filled with thanksgiving, the things that could happen through us? 
I suggest that the lack of prayer is one, just one, of the many reasons we don't see effectiveness in our influence, in our ministries that we have around us. Mark Batterson, author of Praying Circles Around Your Children, fantastic book, says this about the importance of partnership and praying for your children. You'll see it up here. You don't have to do everything right as a parent, but there is one thing you cannot afford to get wrong. That thing is prayer. You'll never be a perfect parent. Amen to that. But you can be a praying parent. Prayer is your highest privilege as a parent. There is nothing you can do that is a higher return on investment. In fact, the dividends are eternal. Prayer turns ordinary parents, hallelujah, into prophets who shape the destinies of their children, grandchildren, and generations that follow. Do we believe that, church? Prayer is a posture, really, of weakness. It's saying, I ain't in control. I cannot contribute to the results of what are going to happen. God, would you go before me? And God blesses that humble posture, y'all, with his strength. When we are weak in our praying, he will fill it in with his strength. Prayer is like gas to a car. God's power through us will only go as far as we are surrendered to him. That was, that was good, KJ? I'll say it one more time then. Prayer is like a gas to a car. God's power through us will only go as far as we are surrendered to him. Prayer is also like the persistent asking of a child that ends up getting a parent to do something. If you want to see prophecy lead non-Christians to Jesus, if we want to see healings for the glory of God, if we want to see our neighbors come to know Christ, if we want to see our children end up living in their calling, we need to pray for them. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all about this. They want it more than we do, church. And we know that because the, the scriptures say that Jesus is in heaven interceding on our behalf and to that end. The Holy Spirit is interceding even when we don't know what to say throughout the earth. And God the Father has designed us to partner in prayer with him. Let's buy in, church. And we become prayer partners when we pray along with God's will. Now let's get back into the text, verse 14. And let's see, which we've already read, God's response to Moses' request. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. Church, your praying can affect the involvement of God in this situation. Your prayer can affect how involved God will get into a situation or into a person's life. Let me nuance this. I know it can be tricky. I'll say it simply like this. God can change his mind, but what he chooses not to change is his character. God can do, as Psalm 105 says, as so well jolly as he pleases. He can change it. What he will never change in determining things is that he is good and he is trustworthy. You feel me, church? That is what he will not change. And if you think this is a man-centered theology, sure it can be, but also it's not meant to be. It becomes a man-centered theology when we think that we can earn God's response and his, and his involvement by what we do or how we pray. It can, believe, it can become man-centered when we believe that we can manipulate God's mind. But remember, church, in everything, what did we start off with up top? A reverence to God, that he was before everything. 
just as Moses alluded to. And with that humility, we can pray as Moses did. I just want to take a step back and step back and look at this whole situation of intercessory prayer. Israel deserves God's wrath because of their transgressions against God. Moses then steps in, guiltless as he is. There's no condemnation or judgment on Moses from Yahweh. And then third, God reroutes his wrath. God changes his mind. Does that sound familiar to you, born-again Christian? That's our story. That is our story. We once were dead in our trespasses and in our sins against God. And then Jesus stepped in. And he did what Moses could never do. And that is be the ultimate lamb of God, clean, perfect, to take away our sins. And by his sacrifice, we've been forgiven. Jesus is a far greater shepherd, intercessor than Moses could have ever been. And it is because of his sacrifice that we actually have a spiritual birthright to talk to the maker of heaven and earth. We have access to the one who changed our life. We have access to the one who continues to change lives and change circumstances. And whether you have someone in mind to intercede for, or if you don't, I want to take this time to have a church initiative and a major ask from leadership on down throughout the church. A couple weeks ago, we had our own Cliff Tulsi come up here and preach an amazing message on compassion. Interestingly enough, it was the compassion that Moses had for Israel that compelled him to pray for people. And so here is Cliff. Well, a few days ago, he suffered a stroke. Many of you may know. He is unresponsive. He is brain dead. The Tulsis are unsure if he will survive at this point. He's paralyzed on the right side, not able to swallow. 70% of his brain is damaged. And he has a great deal of swelling. Cliff is many things to many people, a friend, a mentor, a teacher. But more importantly, he is a husband to Carrie Tulsi and a father to their children. He's been the anchor through Carrie's cancer, and he's the one who's hurting now. So we're asking a couple things from us, church. We're asking, first off, I just want to say, are we bought in and believe that we can influence what happens in this world by prayer. Go ahead and give me your hand raised if that's true. We're giving an amen. So as you raise your hand, you are going to pray this, we're asking. We're asking that you would pray for Cliff's healing the next seven days in a row. The next seven days in a row, we're asking for his physical healing. Also, during that time, the enemy is totally attacking and trying to harden the hearts of the Tulsis. We're asking that you would pray for spiritual covering for their family peace specifically secondly we're asking you to fast a meal meals or media for one day this week during that and during that time we're just asking that instead that you would just pray and it would be a reminder that your belly or you trying to look at your phone would be a reminder to pray for cliff and his family instead remember none of these things earn us god's favor but it's a part of getting his attention It's a part of what he delights in us seeking him in relationship. You see, where the Tulsi family may be weary right now, we will stand in the gap and pray in numbers. Amen? So let's begin to pray right now, and then we're going to transition to a time of celebration.
God, we thank you so much for the Tulsi family. We believe that you put intercession in place so that we could commune with you, grow with you, and we know its effectiveness and power. Grow us in faith, God. I'm asking, along with this church, that you would totally heal um, Cliff simultaneously, that you would protect with peace the Tulsi's. God, I'm asking that this would be a joy to do as a church and that you would hear our cries on their behalf where they're weary, that we would stand in strength and that you would get greater worship. God, that you would get greater worship, that we would be able to share a testimony of Cliff coming back when when medical staff said that he was brain dead. God, we're just asking, we know you can do it. We're just asking that you will, God. In Jesus' name, amen.